Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. So this is going to be a call-in episode primarily, but I wanted to cover a couple of quick things here that I feel like they've been on my chest, on my mind, and they need to get out there because, hey, why have a podcast if you can't say what you want to say? Number one, I'm just going to make it clear because I feel like it hasn't been made clear to me in other places, and then I've been wrong thinking this was the case. I do not allow people to attack other callers on this show, nor say, I mean, I try to even keep down on the profanity, and you certainly shouldn't be saying negative things about people who can't defend themselves, like, I don't know, hosts of shows that aren't part of the Anchorverse. Those people that have done that in the past know this because I will, if they have an account, I will reply back to them privately and say, I'm not going to run your message unless you change it. And those who refuse, those messages do not get played. I want your calls. I want you to be part of this community but you do not have the right to say anything you want on my show. If you want that kind of thing, there's probably plenty of shows you can be on. This is my community. My community is amazing. You guys that listen and call in are great callers, and let's keep it that way. That's both here and on YouTube. So now that I got that out of the way, let's jump over to the second thing, which is kind of related, which is why do I even talk about gaming? What is it about game? What is it that makes me want to talk about games? I mean, <laughs> some people talk about games because they, they're maybe in a place where they can't play games. And uh, I'm actually working on a video about that. Oh, shield, I shield for myself there. But, uh, you know, as far as analyzing games, talking about what we like, what we don't like, mechanics, what's the point of that? Is it because we didn't have fun playing the games? Is it because we hate games that we talk about uh, and want to make suggestions on how they could be changed? In my case, absolutely not. If I'm talking about a game, it's because I'm enjoying my experience playing that game and... I want to find a way to enjoy it even more. One of the things I like to do is, in fact, one of my earlier YouTube videos, I, I have this on there, is that I, I decided that I hated uh, giant ants because I had played in a game where twice our relatively high-level party got TPK'd by giant ants as a random monster because giant ants are really powerful and I just felt like they weren't interesting and they were just really powerful and kind of not fun. So I decided, hey, I don't like giant ants, you know, but why don't I like them? Why is it not working for me? And I made an adventure. It's on my YouTube channel called They Might Be Gods. Or they Once Were Gods or something like that. And uh, all centered around giant ants. I took the concept of giant ants and I shaped them into something that I thought would be fun to play. And we had a great time playing the game. I probably still won't use giant ants, <laughs> but at least it wasn't me just saying, hey, I played in the game, got TPK twice, so I hate giant ants. It was analyzing why I may or may not like giant ants and then using them in a game myself to see what I might do differently. And turns out they're still really damn powerful. <laughs> so anyways, long story short. But my point being is that if I'm here discussing on the channel uh, other games, if I play in a game of Pathfinder or I play in a game of uh, Best Left Buried or Marvel Superheroes or whatever, and then I come in and I say, well, you know, I'm not a fan of this part of it, or, you know, I built a character in Traveler and they died. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Uh, you know, that is not because those games are inherently bad or that I had a bad time. It's because I'm curious, like, what is it about that game that didn't really appeal to me in the way that, let's say, OD&D does? And what does that tell me about myself? What does that tell me about 
gaming in general and about creating game systems for other people that they will enjoy. People like me, because that's one of the best things about what's currently happening. Maybe I guess it was always happening. Uh, it definitely was happening at the beginning. I don't know if it happened in the middle of RPGing when I wasn't around, but the idea that like people are just making games, right? They're creating games for themselves, hopefully, that they are hoping that other people will really enjoy. And I always take the, uh, what do you call it, rule zero approach to any game system that I play. So when I'm looking at a game, I try to play it rules as written at first, and then I might look at it and say, you know what, this game's really fun, but I'm not a huge fan of this part. And I will make changes. I will analyze it. I will talk about it with other people whose opinions I trust and have them bounce ideas off of me. I bounce ideas off of them. And I think that's how we grow as players and referees and game creators. So yeah, I'd be curious why you talk about games, because I'm sure you do if you're calling into the show <laughs> or if you're listening, possibly. What is it? Why is it that we do that? Is it because do you do, you do it to bitch about games you don't like? Or do you do it because you love a game and you want to brag about it? Or do you talk about games where you feel like you should like it, but perhaps maybe there's something there that you just can't quite put your finger on that you think could be better? So I think I fall mostly into the last part, but let me know. And uh, yeah, let, let's hear a bunch of calls. We get tons of calls. Uh, Jason Taylor, uh, the uh, Red Caps, uh, Rune Slinger. I think I got everybody. A bunch of really, really great calls in this episode. So uh, let's get to them. Oh, also directs on. Now let's get to them. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. I know I mentioned Gaslight. You know, they're, Buck Sardu is up in Maryland and in the group that when I used to go to wargaming conventions, they used to run a lot of Gaslight. And I've actually played in it, but just at a convention just for single games. I don't own those rule books. A lot of time in systems like that, you might have a bad guy character, an overlord player, right? Or overlord players. But usually you, you would have a big bad and... And so they're your bad guy, even though they're playing different minions during the different scenarios, they're still, you can get points for like winning scenarios and get, you know, victory points. And, and so the, there is some advancement for the people playing the bad guys in those war games. And again, I don't have Gaslight itself, but in games like that, usually that's how that works. As far as an RPG goes, yeah, I don't know if you've been listening to the Redcast podcast Kevin mentioned something about that, and I reached out to him and touched bases with him briefly on doing something like that, a PvP kind of thing where you have two parties where you could have one as a bad guy, you know, one of the bad guys, one as good guys, and kind of two GMs to help mo help moderate that PvP combat and help control the movement. Because you, you have to have a, a GM for the heroes and a GM for the... Well, for the other heroes, if you have two parties and then if they fight, you, you know, those GMs would help work, work together to moderate that action. Um, so we've actually been talking about that. You might want to get on that conversation because it's kind of the same idea. I think PVP like that would be very interesting and would be worth doing. I don't know if I do it all the time, but I think it'd be interesting. Of course, the other way to do that, is, I think Kevin also mentioned, if I remember right, on the red caps was just the idea of 
having an extra GM there that plays the an assistant GM that plays the bad guys. And effectively, that's what you would have in that case, right? You'd have an assistant GM that's playing the bad guys in, the, in those cases. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that'd be fine, too. Although you're losing out. In the RPG, of course, then it lets people do mustache-twirling villains and lets them be the bad guys. But the problem is, because bad guys being really evil a lot of times, you, you know, I, I could see some issues there potentially. But with the right group, I think it would work really well. And, hey, if you want volunteers, of course, I volunteer. If we can make it work schedule-wise, I'm happy to do any kind of experiment on those lines with you. Right, the victory point thing. Uh, Gaslight does have that, I believe. I'd have to look at it again. Uh, I kind of breezed over because I was thinking more for an RPG. I wonder, I mean, that works, I guess, in the Gaslight to be continued um, because the idea of the game is it's a skirmish game, right? So every time you get together to play, you're just fighting. Like, that's what the game is. And you role play a little bit, I, I guess. Like, you know, at the beginning, you're just, oh, the heroes are blah, blah. And if that's like 10, 15 minutes of the game at the beginning to set things up, I don't think that's really going to make the player playing the well, just going to call them bad guys for the purposes of this. You know, they're not going to be too worried about the idea that they don't get to do anything for the first 10, 15 minutes of the session, maybe. Um, and of course, you could go back and forth. So it's almost like character intros. And then it's basically just a combat. So I think that's why it works there. I'm wondering in an RPG, because there's so much more than combat, usually, that um, if that would work. I mean, I'm just thinking if you narrated between scenes and kept it really open-ended and didn't, like, play, if that makes sense. So, for instance, let's say you've got your two teams, uh, you know, Ming the Merciless, and you've got Flash Gordon, and they both land at this site, and they're both trying to get to this object. Uh, You might just have each side describe, okay, well, you know, you're going to go through this thing, and you take literally just five minutes of... You don't do a lot of mechanical stuff. It's almost a storytelling game as they get through this, uh, this area, right? Uh, and then, you know, Ming the Merciless's team says what they're going to do, and then maybe you roll to see who gets there first, and then whoever gets there first gets to put their minis down first in the space, and then the other team comes in through the doors, and that's basically how you do it. So it is effectively just a minis game. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely like to try it. I mean, I think all these ideas seem really interesting, and I'm just... I guess a while back, I put a post on Twitter and I said, I made the statement, I was trying to do a hot take, that all you really need is a good combat system and the rest is role play. And that got a lot of, uh, well, a lot of discussion. And I, I kind of feel like that's the direction I'm going in life. Like, I feel like most of the RPG stuff, like the exploration stuff, is really just talking to the players and storytelling. I mean, yes, there's there's roles there for searching for traps and stuff, but really a lot of it is just the narration between the referee and the players. So if you make that even, if you remove all mechanics from that or most mechanics from that, would the game still be fun if the game was just, quote, about combat, you know, <laughs> which is what a lot of people think old school games are, which obviously I don't believe so. But yeah, that's awesome. I will jump on. I'm trying to catch up on Red Caps now. They came back strong. I saw that they were podcasting, and I'm like, oh, i got to get over there. And I looked, and there was like 10, so I'm, I'm working my way through. So I'll catch up to that area and get involved in that conversation for sure because I would like to try some of these things, uh, either be involved in somebody else's test of it or uh, do it myself. So I will, uh, I'll let you know about that. Hey, Jason here. Yeah, Rob's idea is interesting, especially if you do it the way you're talking about, where you add up the damage and they roll their hit points and they have to beat the damage number with their hit points dies to survive. I, I think people would be a lot 
uh, crunchier. I think people would die a lot, a lot squishier. I, I think they would die a lot more often with Rob's system, to be honest, than like a threshold system, like what Runehammer's doing now, what Hankerin's doing now, whether you're a fighter, they have to do eight points of damage. If they do eight points of damage to you to go over your hit point thre- hit die threshold, then you take eight point of damage, right? I, I, I think that's there's a big difference between the two um, to some degree. I don't know, though. It's Well, because Hankerin's is per hit, not per round, where Rob's is talking about per round. The way, the way you worked out the way Rob was talking, I can't say how Rob's works. But your version of Rob's system is, is really interesting. Weirdly, I'm unsure. Because you would think, on the surface level, I would like this uh, this system that, that, they're, that they're coming up with there, Runehammer. Because it's similar to what I'm doing with Chainmail. But I kind of don't like that it still has damage hit points and stuff like that. I think, like, if you're going to have a certain number of... Uh, a certain level of threshold to do damage to the fighter, then... It should be pretty major. And again, I don't know what he's doing with hit points. Maybe the fighter only has like three hits before they die. Maybe one per level, you know. So it is effectively what what I'm doing, except each individual below has to exceed a certain number, which again is interesting, but um, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to, to look at it more deeply and think about it to see if I would personally think that it would work for my table. But it's definitely a cool idea. And it makes the fighter kind of look what Rob was talking about down in a heap a while back, where he was talking about giving people maximum hit points at first level that's one of the things the potential for higher hit points is one of the things that makes the fighter a better fighter than let's say a thief right but you if you roll one hit point for your fighter you know and four for your thief then basically i mean i know that they can wear better armor or whatever but uh, you know effectively your thief is theoretically more more survivable than your fighter so by giving them maximum hit points at first level you actually set off this, uh, this is in games with variable hit points, obviously. You set off this idea that, like, yeah, even the fighter does get eight hit points at first level. And an elf, sure, they can cast spells and fight, but they only get six. Um, dwarves are still the OP uh, class race in BX, but, you know, <laughs> that goes without saying. People like dwarves, I guess. I guess my other thought on this is that we we tend to hold on to things from legacy games, right? Like, just because Arneson's group decided that they wanted hit points... Uh, so their characters didn't die every time they got hit and had that randomness in there. Does that mean that every game forward needs to have that? I mean, I'm creating a, a new game, so i got to have hit points. And I feel like that so many people are trying different techniques to make hit points work better for their world. When I wonder if just removing the hit points from the game altogether is not the best place to start and then adding them back in if you feel like they're needed. Kind of like what I was saying a few podcasts back about create the feel of the game, what, what you want to happen in the game, and then add the mechanics after. Don't walk in saying, well, I need hit points, I need an attack roll, I need a defense roll. Just say, I want these things to happen and what works best for me. Hey, Daniel. I was just listening to your uh, episode on playing the bad guys. I actually just did a episode very similar called Adversarial Players. And... Um, the conclusion I got from it was that most likely you would be able to keep the heroic characters long-term on a campaign, but the bad guys, uh, the villain characters, you'd probably have to cycle in and out the players a little bit. Um, although my reason for thinking that was due to expecting to have those long pauses that you said you were going to eliminate by doing cutscenes and what have you. So it might work out just fine in that sense. Um, but yeah, if you do set up a game in September or something, let me know. I'd be definitely interested in trying that out. You see that? Jason spoke the name of the Red Caps, and they came. 
to dip their caps in the blood of the listeners. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, I, I think exactly that's the issue, right? I do, so how much of the game do I want me running it and the players playing it to be the in-between stuff, right? And if it, if it, you want all that like in-between role-play stuff, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying it like it's a negative. I love, I mean, I've played plenty of games with no combat. If you want that in this uh, campaign, then you're right. Maybe the people who are playing the, the enemies wouldn't play every session or maybe you yeah maybe you would play let's say twice a week and which would be a lot of work on the gm but the the we'll say the 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 hero players will play twice a week like on mondays for an hour and then fridays for an for two hours and the the enemies would just play on fridays for two hours so that monday one hour game would be all the in-between and you get as far as you can get and then effectively you'd want to again it would take a lot of uh i don't i hate to use the word railroading but it would take a lot of linear design in order to get the players to where they need to be so that they can have the conflict with the the enemies on the Friday, right? I mean, it, it's not hard to do, but the players would need buy-in. And, it's, you know, when, when you talk about that kind of stuff, I know people love to lay down, like, one play, former play being better or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that if you tell the players up front, we're playing a six-session uh, campaign and this is how it's going to be, every Monday we're going to effectively do the background to get you to the point where there's going to be a combat, which we're going to do every Friday, so just know it's going to be linear, <laughs> you know, eventually you're going to walk into a room and the bad guys are going to be there, right? That's just the way it is, right? So I, I think that you could do it that way and it comes down to player expectation. Would it be something I want to do in place of all my role-playing games? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think that it would be the ultimate. I'm just kind of looking at this now as an option or a way to play that I think could be really fun and also very light. I think that's the reason why I'm liking this idea is that there's not a whole lot to it, right? You don't have to worry about grand scoping campaigns. You can be a little bit loose with it because you just come up with a cool set piece idea and you're just like, okay, well, I want to battle in a science lab, you know, where there's like a, a reactor melting down and the heroes have to, you know, uh, try to stop the reactor from melting down. The villains just want to steal the the core so they can escape or whatever. Uh, none of that science probably made any sense, but that's fine. And so now you've got this situation where the heroes are doing two things, right? They're trying to stop the villains from just stealing the thing and leaving, but and also try to stop the reactor so they save all the people. The villains don't care about that. So then you create this like kind of cool situation where the heroes and villains are battling it out, and, and it's kind of a strategic play between the uh, between the heroes and the villains, and the referee there is doing the things like keeping track of the of the the meltdown, you know, having any kinds of uh, you know random things happening, stuff like that, making sure that everything's fair, making judgments if oh you're you're undercover, you're not undercover, that kind of stuff, and just keeping the game flowing. So I think that part could be really interesting, but again, I don't think it would replace all my role play. I just think it's kind of an interesting uh, situation. And weirdly, I don't think I mentioned this before, but I'm actually pl running three games at Garricon and. Uh, that I think well, I'm running six, but three of them I'm trying to run with this kind of uh, <laughs> this kind of setup. So uh, in a way, I'm kind of questioning what I already said I was going to do. I think at a convention it'll definitely work. Yeah, I don't think that's really a question at all. The question is, will it work with a home group with a regular play uh, setup? Regarding the anchor message, the anchor message feature at this time is not slated to go away. Only the message button in the app. The way I've worked around this uh, prematurely, I guess, I've got a little template for my show notes, which includes a link directly to my message page. So in a perfect world, the phone 
will jump to the message page in your browser compared to the app itself. While knowing Anchor, uh, you'll, I don't know if they're going to be clearing the cache, so to speak, so it may just jack up everywhere. But messages as a whole haven't been deprecated yet. Okay, that was Taylor from Cleric's Wear Ring Mail. Of course, uh, he has a lot of calls. <laughs> Taylor's got lots of stuff to say, so lots of good stuff, actually. But before we get into the rest of them, I just want to address this. I will try to do the same. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you for it. I will try to put a link in this show note going directly to the message page. That way, if you want to leave me a message, uh, you'll be able to. It sounds like, based on uh, things I'm listening to on other podcasts and on uh, Discord conversations that seems like most people have lost that ability. I have not updated my app yet, so I can still send messages from the app personally, but as soon as you update your app, you're going to lose that. So if you do not have the message capability from the app, check the show notes and please do call in. For folks who didn't recognize the voice, this is Taylor over at Clericsware Ringmail. Looking forward to our Cerebrivore collaboration or backwards, depending on when this call gets published, assuming it gets published, but looking forward at the time of recording. Now, knowing we're going to talk about Chainmail then, what should I talk about now? We've got to leave some interesting conversation for Jason, don't we? So I think I'll start off with, I love narrative immunity. That was one of the things you touched on in your Hit Dice episode when I said I was going to call in, and I really like that. I love The example I gave on Discord was Ancalagon the Black, the great dragon in the service of Morgoth in the uh, First Age of Middle-earth. Ancalagon is a little big, <laughs> literally, so he's that's a little extreme of an example, but I also love the idea of the hero who's effectively untouchable by mooks. You have your Conans who fight off a horde of enemy soldiers, and then you focus in when he comes hand-to-hand with someone who is his equal. Will he come out on top? We don't know. And I love the the ability of chainmail and incorporating chainmail into the game, as you've described, to facilitate that fit to fiction. That's something that I am striving to do in my own game, which started off with OD&D with Chainmail, and I'm slowly backing off. I'm slowly backing back into Chainmail with a few little caveats, slightly different than the way you are approaching it yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. A uh, good, great example. And uh, we did actually have an amazing chat on Cerebral War, so we'll see what other messages Taylor left, because there are a few more. And um, yeah, I love that. I mean, because again, we talked about this on Cerebral War. I, it's not like I was the person who <laughs> first thought of this. There was a bunch of people who were using Chainmail. Uh, I mean, except for the creators of d and I mean, like currently, like a, currently, like now, like in the, in the last 10 years. And I love that each of us kind of pulls from it what we think works to create the stories at our table that we want to create, the feeling, the vibe at our table, right? So at first, I mean, you could easily take this game for those, because I often say that the way that I'm doing the game, it creates a very heroic game, and it's nothing like what a lot of people think the OSR is once you get past the first couple of levels anyways. But you could keep it really deadly and, and like that and, and leave it so that 
until you get to fourth level, you're not a hero and it takes one hit to kill you. <laughs> so using chain mail could be really, really deadly if you use it that way. So uh, there's definitely a lot of different games that could spring forth depending on how you think about the game and how you think about how you want the game to play at your table. And I love that we're both kind of working uh, at the same time where we're, you know, being friends, we can kind of see what each other are doing. And it's, it's, it's great. I, I love that community that's around uh, these kind of projects. So, yeah. You mentioned in troop combat or abstract combat, the use of concurrent hits, that is X number of, of hits are required in a round to take the character down and it's binary you're up you're down nothing in between i love that and i'm trying to take that and port it over to man to man so in a similar vein a hero in man to man combat would have to be struck four times in order to go down he's up he's down good to go this has two problems that i've observed one you're rolling a lot and you can't roll them as a pool. 2d6 is, has a curve. It's great for the weapons versus armor, but troop combat, you can roll 100d6 at a time and count successes. You can't roll 100 2d6s at the same time, or most people can't. And the second problem that you run into is likelihood of hitting significantly drops. So one man on one man, you're very likely for one to kill the other one hero and one hero, it's very difficult to roll four successes uh, unless you have precisely the right equipment. But once you get up to superhero, forget about it. They're going to be at it all day. And at that point, you might as well fail over to the fantasy combat table where you could be over with in one go. So I've kind of taken a nod from the fantasy combat table and merged it with a house rule that I read over on the Bat in the Attic blog by Rob Conley. I put a comment on his blog telling him it was a great rule and I was going to steal it. So I feel zero problems talking about how it's a great rule and I'm going to steal it. But essentially, view the man equivalents of a character as a sort of damage quotient. That is, when you roll a hit in man-to-man, you inflict a number of hits on the target equal to your man equivalents. And if you have man equivalents left over, you can use it to attack more targets. So if you have a level four character fighting a level two character, the level two character would only be able to attack once and would need a friend to strike uh, an addition for the balance of the hits. Whereas the level four character, he would swing on the level two character but would still have two extra attacks left over. So he could swing at the level two character a second time if he missed, or he could turn around and strike that friend who's coming in at the other side. How does this relate to the fantasy combat table? Well, consider if I am a six hit die fighter and I am going up toe to toe against an ogre, a six hit die monster, and I'm running concurrent hits, Note, Chainmail says ogres are cumulative hits, but we're ignoring that for the purposes of the example. Because I'm rolling to hit with an equivalence of six attacks, that means if I hit, that ogre is down. Similarly, if the ogre hits me, I am down. It has the same principle of the cumulative, uh, the concurrent hits, 
but it has the quickness of the fantasy combat table. And more so, it allows me to port in that weapon versus armor granularity that is more abstracted when you use troop combat. So we do talk a little bit about this on the Cerebral 4 episode, which is going to come out in October, so it's a bit off. So I don't want to leave this hanging out here completely, but um, and maybe people can start to think about this question that I had for Taylor, and you can listen to the episode to see how we kind of bounce back and forth about it, which is that if you're familiar with the man-to-man combat, the only caveat to what he's saying is that how do you handle things like parries? So call in, let me know how you would handle a parry using that system, because I actually really like that system. Now, in Taylor's example there, I would just have the two heroes fight on fantasy and the superhero versus the hero fight on fantasy. That's how I would solve that. Uh, they can't really take each other out by his technique, you know, of really rolling, uh, having to roll four times. What's interesting is, by the way, and I, oh, I don't know if I put this up there as an actual play or not. <laughs> I don't think I did. I didn't, I did an actual play where we, <laughs> I call it that. I played a game where we did Unchained, which is my strictly chainmail hack. And there was a battle like that. And what I ended up doing with a lot of the bad guys is I would have them have equivalents. So, for instance, they might attack as four or five figures, but only defend as two. And what that means is they'd have full fighting capability of, let's say, a hero if they were four figures, but it only took two hits to take them down. And I did exactly what Taylor's describing. It required, well, in this, this case, I did three hits. So he had he basically rolled four, four times, and the hero rolled four times. But he only needed to get hit three times, where the hero needed to be hit four. And you might say, well, wow, that makes the hero impossible to kill. But in this situation, because they were like barbarians and stuff, the hero, I think, was in leather armor or no armor. And the bad guy was in plate. And it was actually, it was a tough fight. They had to like switch weapons up. It was It was pretty cool. So... I love the idea. I'm not convinced that I, that I want to get rid of hit points altogether there, but it's definitely worth trying because I do find that to be the trickiest thing. And I love this idea of the the they talk about the concurrent hits, and I, I may try to incorporate that. I'm just trying to figure out how. And we talk about this a little bit in Cerebrovor, so uh, I won't spoil it there. But let me know if you want to call in. Um, I guess not Jason or Taylor because they already know what we came up with, or maybe maybe they have something different to say. Um, how pairing would work. So, yeah, let me know. So, what happens if I'm level 3 and you're level 4? Does that mean I can never beat you? No. It means that maybe I need to take that dagger out uh, and get the multiple attacks in. Maybe uh, it means that I should have a critical hit system, where if you hit on a double, it counts as two hits instead of one. We'll worry about that as we play. And I get to pilot this uh, tomorrow. I'm implementing this in my OD&D chainmail game uh, coming up tomorrow night. The party is excited about it. I've talked about a little bit. I should probably write up a blog post about the rules we had uh, planned on following. What am I doing next week? But the important part, also want to think about death spirals, uh, ability damage, sensory damage, potential injuries you can hit in combat. But instead, we'll leave that for Cerebrivore. And I'll leave you with, I love what Jmail does for the game. It elevates the fighting man who becomes a wrecking ball, an avatar of destruction, invincible, and instilling fear in the heart of his foes. For the magic user, for the wizard, it encourages and empowers them to reach out across the battlefield and turn the tide alone, a walking piece of artillery in flannel. 
it does this. It introduces dragons and trolls and ogres and other fantastic beings with a lightning fast and easy to understand combat system once you get it under your belt that moves quickly at the table and gives you lots of room for narrative control with what you do to fill the fiction that you wanted to read an appendix in. And it does that while striating the game starkly. You start out as a nobody, but you end the game as somebody. And I love that. Great game. I look forward to our conversations going forward. And I look forward to the game I get to run. Delvon. So uh, I love this like comparison to the fantasy combat as well. And I think that for me, in fact, after I was uh, had the conversation with Taylor on Cerebrivore, I was uh, I was driving, which is normally when I come up with ideas and I can never write them down. Um, and I was uh, I was thinking because my in my Unchained game, I've got abstract combat, which is troop combat and chainmail. I've detailed combat, which is man to man. Uh, and then I have I wanted a fantastical combat. And one of the issues that I have with Unchained is that I don't want stock creatures, right? I don't want uh, demons or trolls or ogres because I think that in a sword and sorcery game, every single monstrous thing should be 100% unique. So I've been working with this uh, combat results table type idea for that, the fantastic combat. And I think actually looking at what Taylor is doing here, this might it, it shift how I'm doing that slightly. So I really love it because we did discuss slightly, in, you know, a little spoiler for sure before the idea of like, how do claws and bites and stuff work on the man to man? And, and he's got a pretty cool system, which I will likely uh, lift or at the very least uh, get inspired by as I write up the remainder of my uh, Unchained, which should, well, not should, I've dedicated myself to having it live on drive through by the end of the month. So uh, I've got about, what, two weeks? And I, yeah, I'll be able to do it. Definitely, 100%. It might not have any artwork or very little artwork, but it will be live. Hey, Daniel, it's Direct Sun. I would love to play in one of those games. Uh, there's a bunch of different systems that uh, I'm interested in playing in or running, but I'm not quite sure how it works just from reading the rules. Um, I could watch an actual play, but I don't really have the time for that, and I'd rather just be playing the game, honestly. Um, stuff like um, Apocalypse World systems, I've tried running them, but I don't think I fully grok everything. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm getting into the groove, but I feel like I might be missing something with them. Um, and, you know, there's some other systems that, that, I've, uh, that I've read and I'm interested in, but I, I don't know how they work. Um, so, yeah, I would be interested in something like that. You should just do it. You shouldn't wait for RPG A Day to uh, um, <clears throat> come out with it. Just just do it. I think it would be fun. I think it would be interesting. It's a nice challenge. and uh, You know, it sounds like you want to do it for charity. You can do it for charity, too. Um, side note, this is one of the only ways I thought to leave you a message since it seems like the Anchor app is no longer um, doing the voicemail feature. So uh, I don't know what you want to do in the future. Uh, this is what I came up with. Anyway, cheers. Okay, so that message was from DirectSun uh, in direct <laughs> direct response. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, to uh, 
I guess my RPG a day part two, where I talked about my idea for the 10th year, what I thought was a good thing to do, possibly creating a month or what have you of, of different games being played so people could learn different games, see different systems, stuff like that. Um, and turns out Anthony Runeslinger from uh, the, you know, one of the, the people behind that uh, also had a response to that. So let's hear what they have to say. But first I want to say uh, the way that direct sun sent me the message, which was via Twitter was fine except they use something called Google Pixel, which seems amazing because it does a, a transcript of the voice message. However, I cannot figure out for the life of me how to download it. So I had to hold it in front of my microphone, which is why maybe the audio quality didn't sound quite as good. Uh, I'm on an iPhone, so maybe that's why, and also a Mac. So I'm basically the opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> of, of the Google slash uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, Android, whatever the other things are out there. You know, I, I I pay my my tithe to the to the cult of Apple, so so that that might be why. But um, so I wouldn't use Google Pixel unless you can somehow uh, extract a wave file and send it to me. But I'll talk about how to send me more messages and stuff after we talk to Anthony. Hey Daniel, it's Anthony calling from the road and <laughs> the Casting Shadows podcast, I suppose. And I'm actually casting shadows at the moment as the sun is setting behind me and the car's shadow is stretching out across the highway. That's neither here nor there. I enjoyed your your into parts survey of the question. It uh, uh, brought up a lot of old memories and, and had me nodding my head quite a few times in agreement uh, about a variety of things. But the, the thing that motivates me to navigate the non-anchor methodology of leaving a message is your suggestion for what can we do next year and uh, I can neither confirm nor deny anything at this time. We're still collecting uh, ideas. But way, way back when there was this entity called the YouTube RPG Brigade, there's a, a lot of loosely, it was just like the Anchor podcast community is now, except it was on YouTube. And one thing that we decided to do was to have one of the very first uh, virtual conventions. And we tied that in with a charity for Child's Play. And as, uh, as part of you know, spreading awareness for that convention and for the charity, we tied it all into RPG a Day. And since then, it really has been my dream that... During the entire month of RPG a day, people would be running different games, and every game under the sun would be available. So, to hear your idea, you know, just once again fills me with enthusiasm for the idea. There's so many different ways that it could be organized, and and uh, and different ways it could be supported. I mean, ideally, it would be nice if you know that that companies would would put out something, or you know make available something like for free RPG a day, nothing on that, on that scale because they've just come through free RPG a day by the time that August rolls around. But, uh, the idea being that, you know, there, there would be guidance for people who wanted to try games and offer games for the new, for the first time. And there would be, um, support for people who, you know, wanted to run a lot of games. But, uh, anyway, I think it's a, a really cool idea because actual play is, the heart of pretty much everything that I do. So yeah, thanks for the suggestion. It's awesome. 
So that was Anthony Runeslinger from uh, Casting Shadows podcast. So uh, yeah, that's cool. I did not know that that was done in the past. So there you go. Nothing, everything old is new or everything new is old or however they say it. But uh, I will say um, if that is, if that does happen and there's going to be actual play type uh, stuff and you need it, I will definitely volunteer my time to run games, especially if there's some kind of charity involved. Uh, also, I have some products available and I would be more than one to offer things uh, for people to run or as prizes or whatever, 100%. I think spreading positivity about RPGs is so important. You, you find that we, if we look places, and I know some people are smarter than me and stay off of social media, uh, we often see a lot of negativity, and I understand it. Um, I don't agree with it. I understand it. That, uh, as uh, Chris Christopherson once said, or sang, I should say, uh, we hate everything that we don't understand. So people love to find faults in and find issues with and attack things that are not something they understand. So I think getting people to cross bridges and build bridges, or however you want to say it, and try different things is is so important you know i um just because your focus is a certain thing doesn't mean that other things aren't valid and that you can't appreciate other things and just because you discuss certain things even if you're passionate about them it doesn't mean that you need to hate on other things so i, I think that i love the idea that rpga is bringing positivity uh or highlighting positivity we'll say so maybe it's a good way to say it. And I know that uh, what they're working on was our October for the same reason. And like I think I said, <laughs> why not have something every month? So, yeah, I think that the idea of like being positive and not uh, attacking people for the games they they play or the show, uh, the actual play shows they watch or the, the types of, uh, you know, feelings they might have about games, whether they're too attached to games or not attached enough to games or whatever. I think, you know, that is what I want to see more of. And I try to navigate the rapid, rapid, the rough waters of the RPG community to find just those things. Uh, and uh, yeah, do my best to be that myself. Probably not always succeeding. So thanks everybody who called in. Got a lot of calls this time. Uh, I appreciate it, probably because I waited forever to respond. <laughs> so uh, thanks everybody. That was really great. I will uh, put in the show notes, if I can, a link to the a page to leave a message to make it easier for people to get there. <laughs> Somehow I cut myself off there and I can't remember where I was. So I'm just going to do this whole uh, contact me again. Uh, you could, again, I'm going to try to do what Taylor said and put a link in the show notes directly to the anchor message page. I am going to look into something like SpeakPipe, but I do not have that yet, nor Google Voice. But you could also send me an email if you like, banditskeep at gmail.com. You could contact me on a Discord I'm starting to sound like Jason a little bit here. I'll have to pay him a royalty for this. Uh, on, on Audio Dungeon is pretty much the Discord that I'm on. I'm also on uh, Grizzly Peaks Radio Discord. And uh, I have my own Discord that uh, if people are interested, I'll put a link to that in the description. It's just kind of soft launching. You might be the first people to hear about it uh, if you're listening to this podcast. So in any case, uh, I'll talk to you soon.